The 401k plan control groups finally explained. Hey everyone, Adam Bergman here, tax attorney and founder of IRA Financial. And on today's podcast, I'm going to spend some time explaining in simple, simple terms how the 401k plan control group rules work. Now, if there's one area that confuses people more in the retirement space, it's this. This is the one area that trips up so many tax practitioners when it comes to setting up 401k plans for their clients. And why? Because it's so damn confusing. So what I'm going to do is I spent a lot of time working on the PowerPoint, which I'm going to share with all of you. So if you are listening to this and you're like, what the hell is this guy talking about? about sharing a PowerPoint, you can simply check us out on YouTube and you can actually watch the video um, if you wish, or you can just listen along and um, I will do my best to kind of explain uh, what's in front of you. But essentially the 401k plan control group rules were created to stop business owners, highly compensated employees, partners, people that control the business from essentially offering themselves benefits and not their employees. Okay, so the rules are basically to say, hey, if you're gonna have a 401k plan, you need to be able to offer same benefits that the highly compensated employees, the owners receive, the rank and file employees need to receive the same. And what we wanna stop people from doing is the business owners creating their own 401k plan for their side business with their spouse maybe, or their other partners, and not including the employees, basically not even telling them that there's a 401k plan out there. Okay, so these control group rules were created for that purpose, to protect the rank and file employees, to make sure that if there is a 401k plan out there that the business owners have created, they should receive benefits. So this is an area that a lot of people don't realize, right? I probably have gotten, oh my God, and 12, 13 years just with IRA Financial and then prior as a tax attorney, hundreds and hundreds of times I've gotten this question and this proposal. Hey, Adam, I got this idea. I have a company. There's eight employees, 15 employees. I don't have a 401k plan yet because it's kind of annoying. I got to provide benefits to my employees. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to create my own little LLC, me and my husband, me and my wife, and I'm going to have that business pay the LLC. I'm going to max out my 401k and that's it. I can max out. I don't have the cost of having a big 401k plan. I don't have to give my employees any safe harbor matches, 3% safe harbor matches, or deal with complicated 5,500 and plan testing and all that nonsense. I don't need to do it. I can just have my own 401k. No one's going to know about it. Well, guess what? <laughs> you can't do it. So the Internal Revenue Code established the control group rules back in 1964, actually before ERISA was created, which was 1974. So they were concerned about people, businesses, and, and their owners uh, not offering benefits to uh, their employees. So again, if you, I'm going to go through these rules. I'm going to try to keep them simple. I'm going to offer examples. There's some flow charts. So again, if you are listening uh, to the podcast, you can check out the video on YouTube. Just go to the IRA Financial channel and you can watch it and actually see the PowerPoint for yourself if, if you're interested. That may make things easier uh, for you to understand. But I just want to give everyone a, I think, detailed but not overly complex explanation of how these control group rules 
work so you don't find yourself in a in a bind because i can't tell you how many people i've spoken to where they came to me and said i'm in trouble adam i set up this solo k last year two years ago five years ago um, no one told me about this thing called the control group rules i own two three businesses with employees they don't have any 401ks and now uh, my accountant's saying i'm in trouble and i may have to go back three years and basically take away my contributions and offer benefits. And this is a royal mess. <clears throat> so this is the point of today's podcast videos to educate people, small business owners, business owners who are contemplating setting up a 401k um, or at least setting up a solo K for themselves and they have businesses. Um, I want to make sure that you're aware of the rules. So there's four ways to really trigger the control group rules. Something called a parent sub, which is kind of up and down. Brother, sister, which is sideways. You know, if you go horizontal and then the combination of the above and then something called affiliated service, which also means kind of management services. So we're going to go through parent, sub and brother, sister, which talk about cross ownership. And then we're going to talk about affiliated service, about something called an A and a B. An A will require ownership of this affiliated service. So the idea I mentioned where you have, let's say, a, um, a law firm with 10 employees and now you're going to set up your own LLC. Uh, for you and your spouse, it's going to receive most of its income from service income from the law firm. And then B, where there's actually no cross ownership, okay, but there's still management services. And, and basically, it's very hard to break these rules, okay? <laughs> I have some smart, smart, smart clients. You know, I have probably, oh, what, 7,000 solo 401k clients. I probably could have had 10 more thousand without these control group rules. But out of the 7,000, I got a couple of really, really smart people and they've worked super hard to kind of get around these rules. Trust me, it's not easy. So let's start with parent sub. Parent sub is the easiest. Basically, there's 80% ownership. So if you own company A and you own more than 80% of it, any other business that you own is part of the control group. Okay, so this is the easiest one to figure out. So I own 100% of Corp A, which owns 90% of Corp B. That's a control group. Okay, this is the easiest one, right? I own 100% of a car washing company, and then I own um, 10% of, or let's make it simple, uh, and then I own, um, yeah, 10% of, of uh, some random um, shoe company. The control group rules will say because you own more than 80%. Well, so, sorry, I own 100% of the car wash and 80% of the um, dry cleaning company or the shoe store or the bar because they're both own 80% or more, parent sub control group rules will work and will treat companies, even though they're two separate companies, two different industries, two different tax returns, they're gonna treat it as one business for purposes of 401ks or SEP IRAs for retirement contributions. Okay, so again, 80-80. Now there's something called brother sister. Okay, so parent sub is where one company owns the other company, more than 80% ownership. Brother sister is just think about it, you know, when you talk about horizontal, like along the same line, two or more corps, in which five or fewer shareholders own directly or indirectly in a controlling interest. Okay. So controlling interest generally means 80% or more of the stock of each corp or, and 50% or more of, of the voting. Okay. So it's 80% of the stock and 50% of the actual control. So again, two or more corps in which five or fewer owners own 80% of each company. Okay, so unlike the parent sub where one owns the other, 
Here, they're two separate companies with just common ownerships. So this is also a super common way to get tripped up uh, and run afoul of the common of the control group rules. Again, um, you have a restaurant where you have 30 employees, and then you have a random, um, uh, I don't know, um, dry cleaning business um, where you have the same common owners and the same common owners own 80% or more of that business or bank, you're in the brother sister. Parent sub is when there's owner, the parent owns the sub and the brother sister, the companies don't actually own each other, but the owners, the shareholders or the members, there's common ownership and there's 80% more of common ownership. Again, even if the businesses are totally, totally, totally unrelated, nothing to do with each other. Again, one's a restaurant, one is, um, you know, sells uh, roof tiles. Uh, doesn't matter. Totally random. It's all about ownership. What's the purpose of this? The purpose is, hey, one Adam owns a law firm with 10 other people. They don't want me to set up a side business with my wife that even if it's separate, if there's common ownership, we're in trouble. So if there's not common ownership, right? Let's say I have a law firm, 10 partners, okay? And let's say I own 80% of, of, of that. And then I have a second business that's totally unrelated, but owns less than 80%. Now I'm not in the brother sister. I'm not in the parent child, but we'll soon see in a minute that I could be in the affiliated service and I probably am. Okay. So look at an example here, Adam and bell are owned by four shareholders. A shareholder A owns 80% and 20% of B B owns 10 and 50 C owns five and 15 D owns five and 15. Again, all of them, we have four shareholders, all of them common, all own more than 80 in both companies. Um, so let's look, does this satisfy or trigger the control group rules? So we have the same five or fewer shareholders own more than 80%. And since four shareholders own more than 80%, the first test is met. Okay. And the second test talks about five or fewer shareholders own 50% of the stock. And that is also satisfied. Um, but the issue is, is it satisfied? So in this example, the four shareholders together own 80% of the more of the stock of each corp, but they do not own more than 50% of the stock of each corp. So in this case, it actually fails the control group rule. So it's 80 and 50, right? Let's just summarize that because I know it gets confusing to some people. Parent sub, okay, let me just go back to parent sub. That's 80, okay? Corporation owns 80% of at least one other corp. So 80 and 80, Okay. In the brother sister, and that's the parent owning the sub, right? Up and down, parent owning the sub. Brother sister is side by side. There's two tests. There's 80%, right? Five or fewer shareholders need to own 80% or more companies, but 50% of the stock of each corp must be owned by identical with respect to such corp, okay? So only 50% of the stock of each corp must be owned by those people. Okay, so if you look at this example, which is interesting, the Adam Corp, shareholder owns 80% of Adam's Corp, okay, but only, and, and only 20% of B Corp, okay? So if you look at the brother-sister, to meet the second test, five or fewer common owners must own more than 50% of each corp, taking into account the stock ownership. So in this example, although the four shareholders own 80% or more of the stock of each corp, they do not own more than 50% of the stock of each corporation, taking into account only the identical ownership. Okay, so you have to look at identical ownership and you don't have a match. Okay, you only have five and five and 15, 15. 
So you don't have the 50%. So the brother, sister, again, trips up a lot of people. The parent sub is super easy to see, right? 80% ownership. The brother, sister, people forget that there's two tests. There's the 80% test, which is easy to figure out. But the 50% test of identical ownership is how some people are able to get through brother, sister. But we're going to see in a second why that's not always so easy. So one thing I want to talk about is attribution. And basically, the way it works is they will attribute ownership of family members to you, right? So a lot of people say, okay, Adam, this is super easy to just solve. I'll just have my wife and my kids take some of my ownership in the other business. But no. So if you look at ownership and attribution, spouse to spouse, there's no attribution between spouses if there's no direct ownership. Okay. And, and, and there's no more than 50% of the income is passive. So if one spouse doesn't own the other business, you can't attribute to that spouse. But if there is both spouses in the business, then you have potential attribution. Uh, minor child, parent, parent, adult child, only if the adult child owns more than 50% of the business. Adult child to parent, only if the parent owns greater than 50%. Grandparents to children, only if the minor adult owns greater than 50%. Okay, there's no attribution between siblings. So attribution is a way you can kind of try to think at least you can get around the control group rules, but the IRS put in the attribution rules to stop it. Now the spousal way is, is kind of how most people uh, get stopped and the control group rules prevail and stopping the 401k to get created. So again, there's no attribution if there's no direct ownership in the company and no more than 50% of the income is passive. But if you have a husband and wife owning one company, okay, there's going to be attribution as long as there's direct ownership. If the one spouse owns something and the other spouse owns nothing of either company, there's no attribution. There needs to be direct ownership. And then with parent and child, it's more than 50%. So if the parent uh, owns, owns 20% and the kid owns 60%, the kid ownership will be attributed to the parent, so the parent will be deemed to own the kid's percentage as well. Again, all this is there to make sure that no one can violate the brother, sister, or the parent, child. So attribution is another tool the IRS uses to stop people from doing, uh, or, or at least trying to evade the control group rules. Okay, affiliated service management services, three and four. This is catch all. This is how, this is the area people don't know about. And a lot of people just do the analysis of parent, child and brother, sister and say, okay, I'm good. Adam, I did it. I don't have 80% and there's no common ownership of 50% or more of same ownership because I played around with the numbers. I'm good. I'm going to do my own solo. Okay, thank you very much. And that's why I said, if you guys ever checked out 414M affiliate service and they're like, what are you talking about? So the affiliate service says, hey, even if you can pass brother, sister or parent, child because you're under the 80% or 50%, you still have to worry about service being performed. So now I mentioned I broke it down into A orgs and B orgs. So an affiliate service group is a type of related employers, two or more orgs that have a service relationship. And in some cases, they may not even have an ownership relationship. So an A org consists of an organization designated as a first service org, which we'll get into, and an A org, and a B org is a B org and an FSO. Okay, FSO, first service org. Okay, let's talk about an FSO. An FSO is basically a service org, some, an organization that really just provides services. Okay, and it's the consulting companies, the law firms, and we'll get to them in a second. Now to be an A org, you have to satisfy two tests. There's gotta be some ownership, 
So your organization is a partner or shareholder in the FSO, some common ownership, and the organization regularly performs service for the FSO, okay? So there's some common services being performed. Think about the law firm and Adam and his wife doing um, consulting, right? And we'll see in a second. There's going to be ownership will be satisfied, right? Because I own some of the law firm. And we're going to have a working relationship because service is being performed. So even if I'm under the 80% and I think I can satisfy parent sub because I play around with ownership numbers, I'm going to fail the affiliated service. A B org. So this is the crazy stuff. With a B org, a significant portion of the business must be the performance of services for the FSO. Okay. And the services must be what's typically performed. And 10% or more of the interest in the org must be held by highly competent employees. <laughs> okay, but you'll see there's not necessarily common ownership um, or even ownership, okay, which, which is crazy. So um, let's do some, actually, let me get into what a service org is. So a service org is an org engaged in one of the following services, health, law, engineering, architecture, accounting, actuality, services, performing arts, consulting, insurance, right? All the stuff that you really catch all services, basically consulting stuff. Okay, that's what a service org is, okay? So an org organization will not be considered a service org if it's engaged in manufacturing or sale of equipment, if it performs research, or if an employee provides one of the enumerated services to the org and the other employees at the org, unless the org is also engaged in the performances of services for a third party. Okay, so if it's doing stuff like selling widgets for manufacturing something, creating something is probably not gonna be deemed a service org. If the principal business of the org will be considered the performance of service if capital is not a material income producing factor. This is super important. And this is probably the most important thing to remember when you're determining whether you have a service org. Is capital a material income producing factor of the business? Now capital is material income producing factor for banks and similar institution. Capital is not a material income producing factor. The gross income of the business consists principally of fees, commissions, and other compensation of personal services, right? Consulting. You know it when you see it. When you, you know when you're consulting, law, engineering, accounting, that type of stuff. That's where capital is not a material income producing factor. And then think of a factory. That's business that cap that you have a situation where capital is a material income producing factor. So that's what a service org is. Okay. Now, this is a great chart. So if you're listening on the podcast, I'm sorry, um, you can't see this. So check out the YouTube video of this because this chart is actually pulled from an IRS document. It's super helpful. It goes through the flow chart for AORGs and FSOs. So basically, first question, is the org a partner or shareholder of the FSO? If it's no, guess what? You're not in the affiliate service A part. We're going to talk about B, okay? Um, and then it goes through what, the, what is an FSO? Is the organization a principal business is performing services? Yes. Is capital not a material income producing factor? Yes. The organization is an FSO. Okay. So if you have a situation where, let's say, um, I have a law firm, okay, and then I have a business, second business, where I have no ownership, but there's services being provided from the law firm to this business that maybe I'm an employee of. I'm not going to fail the AORG, okay? And assuming I don't fail parent sub and obviously brother, sister, because there's no common ownership. So now let's look at the B, right? The B, is, is a significant portion of the business of the org, the performance of services for the FSO 
yes, let's say, let's say 100% of the LLC that I'm an employee of services my law firm. Are there services of a type historically performed by employees in the service? Let's say, yeah, it's, uh, we're doing, um, let's say, uh, I don't know, let's say secretarial work, or maybe we're uh, paralegals, let's say. It's paralegal service. So that's the service typically law firm employees would do. Is 10% or more of the interest in the org held in the aggregate by persons who are designated group of members of the FSO? Okay, so if I don't own 10% or more of the interest in this org, maybe I'm not a B org, right? I'm just an employee. But if I own 10% or more of the interest in this B org, then I'm going to fail the test, okay? So 10% is kind of the number. So you can stay under 10%. Um, of this service company, become an employee, and you technically will get around A, um, but maybe not, right? Because remember, if you go back to A, is the organization a partner or shareholder in the first? Well, you'll say no or yes, right? Depends. Um, let's say Adam owns 30% of the law firm. Okay, so I'm not a parent sob, I'm not a brother or sister. Um, and I own 20, I own 5%, let's say of this paralegal company. So is the org a partner or shareholder in the first service? Um, maybe through attribution indirectly, but let's say no. Okay. So then I satisfy a, but if I own more than 10%, is 10% or more of the interest in the org held by the aggregate by persons who are designated group of members of the FSO, then I fail B. But if my ownership is zero of the B, let's say, and there's no attribution, let's say my friend, my neighbor owns the paralegal company and I'm just an employee of it, okay? And there's no common ownership and there's no attribution because it's not kids or spouses, I may be able to get around the B test. But if I put my wife there, I'm gonna fail because of attribution, right? Because there'll be common ownership because I own the law firm, my wife owns a paralegal company, there's attribution that will fail I'll probably fail um, the B or the A. Um, I won't fail the brother, sister, or parent because of the, well, maybe the parent, depending on the ownership of my wife. But that's how you see attribution coming in and really kind of running havoc on these rules and turning something in a situation where you may be able to circumvent the rules because you can have a spouse or a kid own the other company. That will stop it. The only way this works, honestly, if you own 0% or under 10% of the B org, Okay, there's no common ownership other than the less than 10%. Um, but again, you need to find someone that's gonna own 90%. You basically gotta give up 90% of the income. I have people that say, well, I don't really care. I'll just rip the income off in my salary. Um, and that's possible. Um, you gotta get someone to play along with you that's actually gonna wanna waste their time owning a company um, that they may not make any money on. But it's that's really the only way to do it. You, It's hard to beat the parent sub brother, sister, because of attribution. Um, the brother, sister, you can play around with the 50% of common ownership, but then you get into the A org where you're going to fail that probably because it's the org's probably common ownership. Um, remember, if you go back to, an, to what the A org rules are, um, I'll just slide back up here. Um, you have a situation where to satisfy the A org, the organization is a partner shareholder in the FSO regardless of the percentage interest it owns, okay? And um, there's a regular performance of services. So if there's common ownership there of even 1%, you can be in trouble. Um, and, there, and there's gonna be um, probably attribution to the partners. 
Um, and then the B org, 10% or more of the interest in the org is held by key people. Okay, so that's how the B org will stop it. It's really hard to do it. You essentially have to own zero, okay, to satisfy um, this. So the A, people get around the A because they're like, oh, the law firm doesn't own the paralegal company. I'm good. But then the B org will come in where there's the 10% or more, the interests are held by you know, key people, highly compensated employee. So the only way again to do it is if Adam owns 50% of the law firm or even 100, well, let's say 70% um, of the law firm, if I own 1% of this paralegal company and Joe Smith, my neighbor owns 99%, I may be okay under the B org rules because um, it will uh, fail the, the B org. Um, so let me just go back down to some examples. So the ABC partnership is a law partnership, okay? And um, essentially um, capital, uh, it's a corporation in capital city is a partner in the law firm ABC of capital city, okay? So ABC of capital city provides paralegal services to the law firm. Since all the employees of the corp work directly for the corp and none of them work directly for the law firm. The law firm is an FSO, right? It's a first service organization. The corporation is an AOR because it is a partner in the FSO, right? There's common ownership. Okay, so that's easy. Next one, XYZ is a financial service org that has 11 partners. Each partner of XYZ owns 1% of the stock in Magic Corp. Magic provides services to the partnership of a type historically provided, performed by the employees of the financial service. A significant portion of the business of Magic consists of providing services to XYZ. Considering XYZ is an FSO, the Magicorp is a B org because the significant portion of the business is in the performance of services and more than 10% of the interest in the Magic is held in the aggregate by highly compensated, okay? 11 common owners. So that gives you an idea, but let's say only nine or eight common owners, then you'd technically be able to get under the B org common ownership rules, okay? So that's something to consider. Once you're under the 10%, you have some wiggle room. Here's another one. Joe Smith is an office manager and a highly competent employee of the accounting partnership, DEF. Blue Corps provides the secretarial services for DEF. Joe Smith owns 50% of the stock of the secretarial corp. A significant portion of the business of the secretarial corp consists of providing services to the partnership. Considering the partnership as an FSO, Blue is a B org because, again, a significant portion of the business is secretarial services to the company and more than 10% of the interest in the blue corp is held by highly compensated Joe Smith. Okay. So another example of how this works. So putting this all together, if you have common ownership um, of more than 10%, it's going to be awfully hard to get around control group rules. So again, so even if you can satisfy parent sub brother, sister, cause you can get around the 50% or more of common ownership. And even if you can get around the a org, because of the um, ownership rules, the, the one company doesn't own the other, the 10% threshold in the B rules will make it awfully difficult to satisfy, right? You think you're getting there, right? If you go through the B org um, flowchart, it says, number one, a significant portion of the business orgs for the performance of service of the FSO. So you're like, okay, I lose that. Are the services typically performed? Yes, paralegal services are the same. So I lose that. Is 10% or more of the interest in the org held in the aggregate by persons who are highly comps of the FSO? If it's no, 
then it's not an affiliated service group. Okay, so that's the key. You said she got to stay under the 10%. Okay, that's really um, the thing to consider under the A and B um, rules. Um, and, and that's the most confusing part that people get tripped up on is they go through parent sub, they go through brother, sister, and they forget about the affiliate service. They never heard of it and they think they're home free. And then they find out they're in big trouble because they've set up a plan and never offered benefits to their employee. So you have to look at affiliate service. It's all about the facts. It's super, super key. Um, attribution, don't forget about attribution, kids, spouse, whether it's direct ownership. This is why it's so important to work with professionals. This is the most important reason. Even Well, obviously you need plan documents. You're not gonna create your own plan docs. But if you have more than one business where you have ownership in and you wanna set up a 401k and one of the companies has employees, you absolutely 100% need to think about control group rules, 100%. Do not do anything without speaking to a tax professional about the control group rules. I've seen nightmares, literally nightmares where companies have had to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars of penalties to make this right because for the last three years, they've, they've had 30 employees and they never offered them any benefits and they maxed out for the last three years. Okay, and there's excise taxes and it's a freaking mess. So again, if you have two or more businesses and one have employees, you need to think control group rules, okay? You got to think affiliate service. There's no common ownership between the companies. Do 10% or more of the ownership is it from highly compensated employees of the other business, okay? So you need to be super careful about all this stuff. Are management services being performed? Um, so again, I, I know it's a confusing topic. Uh, I probably kind of dove in a little bit uh, too detailed, uh, and I, I'm sorry for that, but you know, it just needs to be explained. This PowerPoint that I have, um, if you are interested in this subject, definitely check it out on YouTube. It will make a huge difference to kind of see the flow charts. The flow charts are crucial um, for A and B. Parent sub is easy to understand. It's just 80%. Brother, sister, 80%. And then the 50% common is where you can kind of play around with stuff. The issue is then the, F, the A and B affiliate service. That's where people get killed um, and, and fail the control group rules because they're either common ownership between the companies, one company owns the other, um, or there's 10% or more from the highly comps. And, um, you know, it's just gets tripped up. So, um, and again, most people kind of follow the lines of, hey, I got a business with 10 employees. I'm just going to set up a consulting company and it's one company will pay the other. There's more than 10% ownership across company. And that's what's the affiliated service rules are going to stop. It's very hard to have two businesses that are actually uh, separate. Uh, one has employees, one does not, and there's no connection. It's possible. I've seen it. Okay. But it doesn't always happen. So it's very rare that someone has a manufacturing business um, with employees and then has a factory with no employees. Like it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't happen. Um, that's why those scenarios aren't very common. The scenario that's common is one business has employees and then the owners want to create a business that has no employees. Because if one business has employees and you want to create another business, it's awfully hard to have a successful business that's not consulting that has no employees, right? You just can't do everything yourself. Like, you know, not even Tom Brady can do it all, Bill Gates. Like you need employees. 
Um, so that's why once they have the consulting first service org rules there, it's hard to get around them. I mean, it, it just, it, it, it could work. You can have a situation where you have businesses with employees and then you have a separate side business that's not um, an FSO that has nothing to do with the, employee, the company with employees. That's not a consulting or service business um, that doesn't you know, have employees. It's possible, um, but you know, not, not often, right? Just doesn't happen, right? So example, Right, you own um, you know you own fifty percent of a law firm, and um, you have a side business where you do consulting, consulting work. Let's say you do it for other people, right? Let's let's run the scenario. You don't consult for your own law firm. You consult for other people. So you're not an A org, right? Because, and let's well, let's let's do the math. Let's say you own one hundred percent of the LLC. You do consulting work. If you own 80% or more of the law firm, it's parent child. So you're, de it, you're dead, right? If, if you own more than 50% or both, brother, sister, you're dead. But let's say you own 20% of the law firm and 100% of the consulting firm. So you don't have brother, sister, 50-50, no parent, child, 80-80. So now affiliate service. Let's say one org doesn't own the other. Bang. But I said you own more than 10%. Um, so do you? So let's see, is a significant portion of the business of the org performance of services for the FSO? Let's say no, right? Because it does consulting work, but does it for other law firms. Then I think you're okay, right? Because it's totally, totally separate from the law firm. And because you own less than the 50% and the 80%, you don't have a affiliated service issue. But if you own more than 80%, of the initial business, you're going to fail potentially um, the parent child, and you can uh, probably fail the B, you, man, probably not fail the B org, but you'd, fail, you'd probably fail, you'd fail the parent child if you own 80, 100. So you'd have to be under 50% under of the, the first business. Okay. And then you'd have to be under, um, well, if you, if you were under 50% of the main business, and your second business did nothing to do with your first business, then you're okay. But if there was services being provided between both companies, you'd be in trouble, right? So this is how you see how it gets very confusing. And that's why it's all fact and circumstances. And you need to really work with a tax professional that can go through your scenario, get all the facts, gather them, and then do the analysis. Parent, child, brother, sister, A, B, what's going on, okay? And then attribution, add attribution to all this. So this is why this is the area that trips up the most tax practitioners and tax professionals. I've seen it um, confuse the heck out of brilliant actuaries and uh, super smart tax lawyers because it's so damn confusing when you look at A and B um, FSO uh, situations, which not a lot of people kind of focus on. So that's it. Now, if you have more questions, generally, uh, I totally get you. Um, I'm here to help. Um, you know, IRA Financial, this is something we help our clients with, especially you know, our solo 401k clients, this is what happens, right? They, some of them do have their own businesses outside of the solo 401k world. And now they want to set up a solo K for whatever reason. So the first set of analysis we do is, does it satisfy control group rules? Can you do it? Are the control group rules triggered? Are you running afoul of those rules? Usually they satisfy parent, child, brother, sister, with the affiliated service stuff, right? Maybe they own 40% of the first company, and now the issue is, is the second company going to get most of its revenue from that first company? If yes, they're in trouble. 
If no, hey, we may have an option for you. You're pro- you could be in good shape, but it gets confusing. We got to look at all the companies you have an interest in, even passively and kind of do that analysis. So there you go. That's a long Adam Talks. And again, I suggest if you are interested in this topic, go to YouTube and watch the video. Um, it's going to be a lot easier to digest and understand. Um, I promise, uh, just because it's uh, something that you kind of need to visualize. So um, it's an area I'm happy to do more um, discussion on and you know have a, a separate follow on podcast on because it's such an important topic. And it's actually a topic I'm doing a presentation uh, to, to CPAs in the coming weeks. Um, on this, and this probably spent about two hours on. It. So this is an area that I can spend a lot of time and kind of go through examples, facts, um, and, and kind of debate whether um, control group rules would apply. So again, if you have two or more businesses, one has employees, one doesn't, there's some common ownership, you 100% need to focus on control groups before you set up the solo K, please, before. Um, you may be able to get around them. There could be some strategies that we can work on, but in some cases you just, kind of maybe blocked and that that's okay. Better to know up front and you kind of address that at that point. It's very, very difficult to unwind and there's significant repercussions from a tax and penalty standpoint. So you do not want to be in that position. Other than that, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast or video. Um, again, I, I tried to keep it simple. I know it's, it's probably um, a little bit um, confusing. I hope your, your brain's not melting, but um, that just kind of gives you a taste of, of how confusing the topic is and uh, how important it is. So thanks again for spending some time with me today. And if you are uh, listening and want more um, of a visual, definitely check out the video. I think it's going to help you understand the topic uh, more effectively. Thanks again. Be well. Take care.